0: How do you normally start cooking? Olive oil, right? Well, I have great news for you. This podcast is also brought to you by California Olive Ranch, expertly crafted extra virgin olive oil. Go to CaliforniaOliveRanch.com and enter the promo code CHICKENS10, that's one word, CHICKENS10, to receive 10% off your entire first purchase. The offer is available through December 31st. California Olive Ranch discovery starts in the bottle. Let's start the show.
1: Stell the, the Nata Churros Brigadeiro Calzone Apple pie, Shred Ropian and Mash Toad in the Hole Baella
0: Hello there, my chickens and dishes. How are you? Welcome back for another episode of Turning Chickens and Breaking Dishes. My name is David G. Martins, or David Guimanej Martins, and I'm the executive chef for the European Union Embassy in Washington, D.C. And as always, just in case, if this is your first time listening, let me explain to you why my podcast has this exceptional name. I'm originally from Portugal, and I've been living in Washington, D.C. for the last nine years. And the name of the podcast refers to two Portuguese phrases. Turning chickens means someone that has a lot of experience, and breaking dishes means someone that has exceeded all expectations. I'll be asking my guests if we've been turning more chickens or breaking more dishes. Every episode I'll have a guest and we'll talk about everything related to food, not necessarily ingredients or dishes, but how through food we can help communities, the success of small business owners, the fascinating stories that we remember growing up with our family sitting around the table, and even what's the best breakfast ever. Don't forget to subscribe to my podcast and all the platforms you have access to. You can follow me on Instagram at Turning Chickens Breaking Dishes or the Facebook page, Turning Chickens and Breaking Dishes. If you want to support this podcast, go to anchor.fm slash David Martins. I hope you enjoy listening to every episode and don't forget I'm Portuguese. So if you don't understand something, just Google it. Growing up, my guest was a graffiti artist. From there, he played bass guitar in a band, and as a side job, he started making cakes in his apartment. In 2002, he opened his own business, Charm City Cakes, in Baltimore, Maryland. And years later, he also opened Charm City Cakes West in Los Angeles, which is featured in the Food Network's Duff Till Dawn and Cake Master series. His work also has been featured on Food Network's Challenge, Iron Chef American, Men vs. Food, Buddy vs. Duffy, Ace of Cakes, Cake Masters, and others. Author of the cookbooks Ace of Cakes, Inside the World of Charm City Cakes, and Duff Bakes, Think and Bake Like a Pro at Home, and his new upcoming book is called Super Good Baking for Kids. So let's get this conversation baking. Duff Goldman, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hey, thanks for having me, man. How are you? I'm pretty good, pretty good, you know. All things considered, you know, it's, uh, it's, you know, like this craziness going on in the world, you know. Feels like we're, we're living in a really interesting time, but I think that, you know, I think we're all getting through it, and I think we're all going to be a lot stronger, you know, for having gone through what we're going through right now. Two important questions before we start this whole thing.
0: Have you been to Portugal?
1: I have never been to Portugal I know I've been all over the world. I've been to many many places I have wanted to go See, to Portugal. That, that makes it worse
0: when people say that cuz like I've been all over the world but it's not Portugal. Yeah, uh,
1: I know. I know. And it's just it's such a beautiful place. The art is amazing. The food is amazing. The people are amazing. The architecture is amazing. The museums are amazing. There's so much amazing stuff about Portugal I, and I've never been. Do you know any Portuguese words? Os mutantes. <laughs>
0: That's specific. Any reason why you know that?
1: Uh, It's a band. Oh, okay. That's true. It's a Brazilian band. That's true.
0: Brazilian band. Yeah. Do you know? Do you know how how to say cake in Portuguese? Since it's your area of expertise, I'll give you you five seconds for that. Though, do you know? Is it?
1: Is it like pastel? No, we'll say (laughs) we say bolo. Bolo. There you go.
0: See now you learn something. See.
1: Uh, that's a nice word too, bolo.
0: B o l o. Anyway, <laughs> graffiti artist, right? Growing up, yeah, uh, yeah. What drew you to graffiti art, and do you have any? Do you have any crazy stories?
1: Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I do. <laughs> um, I mean, graffiti is a—it's a crazy, you know, art to begin with. So I mean, the the stories are just going to be crazy. It, was, you know, it started with my great grandmother. She, uh, my my great grandmother, came to the United States from Ukraine, uh, Moldova. Uh, she was a weaver and a milliner. She made hats, uh, and she was a baker. And then my grandmother uh, sort of grew up in the arts. Uh, she was a silversmith, an enamel smith. Uh, she did charcoal. She was an incredible photographer. My mom, uh, she, did, she was a ceramicist. So she owned a pottery studio. Uh, she's a stained glass artist. She makes mosaics. She also does silver and charcoal and uh, just, you know, she's an artistic person. So, you know, I just sort of like, it's, it's just who we are. We are, we are artistic people that do things. And so when I was a kid, you know, my, my whole family was like, all right, well, you know what Duff is going to do some kind of art, you know, and everybody's just wondering what it's going to be. And uh, you know, so like 12, 13, 14 years old, they're like, huh, you know, Duff hasn't really like taken to anything yet. And then one day, my mom went into my closet and saw I had those, you know, the milk crates, plastic milk crates, and mm-hmm. gallons come in. She went into my closet and found like ten of those in my closet, full of spray paint. And she was like, "What the hell is this?" So she, uh, you know, I got home from school, and she's like, "You want to explain the 500 cans of spray paint in your closet?" So I, uh, I took her to one of the subway platforms that was about 45 minutes from her house where I knew a lot of the trains were coming by and we sat there for about an hour and then one of them pulled in and there was one of my murals on it. And I was like, that's what I've been doing. And it was pretty interesting because she- Did she uh, scream? Did she start screaming? No. Well, she the thing was, I was real good at it, right? It wasn't like, you know, I didn't just like spray paint the side of a train. I mean, you know, everything I did were big, colorful, beautiful murals. I mean, really, you know, artistic stuff. And so as my mom, she was obviously very- very upset uh but as an artist she she could really appreciate what i was doing so she was actually like you know that's pretty cool she uh she kind of got together with one of my art teachers in school and my parole officer and uh they all sort of got together and were like look can't be doing this anymore you're getting arrested it's dangerous you know it's illegal uh you have to do something else and so they got me into sculpture I started doing metal sculpture i was like bronzing and welding and brazing and you know building metal stuff and uh, i really took to that there's something about like manipulating metal is a very i don't know i feel like that's like one of man's sort of like highest achievements that we've been able to sort of manipulate this medium that is so hard and permanent so yeah so and then you know from there I, i i always cooked as a way to pay for my spray paint And eventually I went through high school then I went through undergrad. Uh, I got a degree in philosophy and then I went to culinary school. And when you sort of took cooking and combined it with sculpture and, you know, color theory, which I was really learning from graffiti, you got cakes and I was just sort of good at cakes. I think one of the roughest days was we were train yard painting and we got chased by the cops. And that happens, you know, once in a while. But this time we got caught. <laughs> Every and, Saturday,
0: yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: And the, the cops gave us a choice. They said, look, we're either going to arrest you and, you know, take you to jail. Or um, you can take all the spray paint that you have on you right now, empty out, empty it out onto yourself, and uh, we'll call it a day. And so me and my friends had to sit there and spray paint ourselves and no masks on, so we were breathing it, you know, as so we got, like, these horrible headaches. Had to, like, spray paint our faces and our just skin. And, uh, it was totally police <laughs> brutality, but, like, it was better than going to jail. <laughs> yeah, that's true.
0: <laughs> you talk a little bit about that. So what drew you as an artist to baking?
1: I, You know, baking is really interesting. I think cooking in general, uh, I think, really appeals to to artists because – There's something about like you're presenting something you've created to people and with a painting you're presenting it, you know, this sort of a visual representation of something you were thinking of with music, you're presenting something, you know, an audible representation of something you were thinking of and with cooking, I feel like you're exciting so many senses. You're doing the same thing you're doing with music or visual art and you're doing it with taste. But you're not only doing it with taste, you're doing it with texture, with temperature, you know, with sight, you're making beautiful stuff, you know. And so I feel like, you know, you're really exciting all these different uh, senses that people have. And I think that the emotions that you can trigger with food, I think, are a lot more immediate than the ones you can trigger with, say, a, a painting. You know, painting, um, you know, like we've all been moved by a painting or something we've seen, you know, visually like, wow, that's stunning and makes you stop and think or whatever. I just feel like with the exception of music, I feel like cooking is one of the things that triggers the strongest human emotional response. What is more important to you
0: if a cake looks good or tastes good? Sometimes you have to give up one for the other. And is that hard for you as a pastry chef?
1: Yeah, you know, that's a good question. I, I think that... There, you have some limitations because like when you're, when you're making a cake, you know, especially like the kinds that we make where, you know, you're working on this cake for two, three, four days. And once you've started putting a lot of like really heavily sugar decorations on it, you can't put it in the refrigerator because the sugar will melt, right? So your cake will get ruined if you put it in the fridge. You have to work on it at room temperature. And when you're doing that, you know, you can't do things like lemon curd or fresh fruit or you know there's there are some limitations to what you can put in the cake but as far as the quality of the cake the the only reason why beautiful cakes don't taste good is because the people making it were lazy there is no reason why beautiful cakes cannot also be delicious and Thankfully, I was a pastry chef way before I was a cake decorator. And, you know, my whole career was in, you know, pastry and, you know, restaurants and hotels and things like that. So flavor was very, very, very important. And so when I opened my bakery, you know, it was really important to me to be making good cakes. I can't tell you how many times you go to a party, you go to a wedding, you go to bar mitzvah, whatever, you taste a cake and you're like, wow, that's not very good, you know? And it might've been beautiful, but like, you know, what's the point of making something beautiful that you know you're going to destroy if it's not worth destroying in the first place? I say make it, make it delicious so that like, wow, look at this cake. It's absolutely beautiful. Somebody spent a hundred hours hand painting this thing and then you cut it open and it's delicious, you know, and then it's, it's totally worth destroying. Where, if it's not worth destroying, then just make it out of styrofoam or wood and eat some ice cream. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> Do you think, and see, this is my European me talking. So, and see, when I arrive in the US, there's a lot of misconceptions that we have about US food in general and baking and sweets. Do you think, for instance, you said about lazy, you know, like people just get lazy when they start making cakes like this. Do you think it's just also. The volume of requests you have, because if you go to you know a bakery in Portugal, for instance, and Portugal is a little different. the pastry world, but even in France, I don't know. Do you think because you have two thirds perhaps the less requests, it's much easier for you to actually make. You know everything from scratch instead of having thousands and thousands of requests, you'd be like, "Hey, we have to cut mm. some We gotta have some shortcuts here." Do you think that's one of the reasons, or that's not necessarily true?
1: I think it's it. Yeah, I mean, you know, there there are some factories that put out you know pretty decent cake. I think that a lot of times though, it's not necessarily a question of what's better or worse; it's what's cheaper. You know, because it like cakes, you know in the bakery business, especially, and you know this, it's a volume game. If I was making baguettes, my bakeries in Baltimore, Baltimore and Los Angeles, I think on a busy week, combined, we'll make 30 cakes on a busy week, right? So mm-hmm. we have to charge a lot of money for our cakes to to even break even, but the kinds of cakes we're doing, that's just what they cost. If we were making baguettes. I wouldn't be able to stay open if I was selling 30 baguettes a week. You got to sell a lot of baguettes before you start making any money. And so I think part of it, it's the places that are making lots and lots of cakes. They're just, they don't necessarily, it's not about being lazy. It's just about having to cut cost. If they're making 3000 cakes a week and they can shave off 25 cents a cake, that's big. So I think it's, it's just that kind of business. But I think you're right. I mean, when you go to Europe, you know, I remember the first time I was in France and uh, I was in uh, Lacta NC, like near, um, near Geneva. I went to a, it was like a open air market, you know, food and stuff. And there was a guy that was just selling ham and he was slicing the ham and, you know, I bought some ham, was eating it out of the package. And I was blown away by the fact that it, it just tasted like ham. <laughs> you know, it didn't taste like salt and sugar. You know what I mean? It it's, it just tasted like ham. And it was like, just as an American, I was so like, wow, this is what ham tastes like. Really eye-opening. And when you go to the bakeries in Paris, I mean, I never really got it, right, until I went to Paris. And everybody was like, oh, man, the Paris and the pastries and, you know, and I haven't been to Vienna yet either, which I really need to do. Um, but, you know, I, I remember the first time I went to Paris and I went into, you know, regular bakery. I mean, it wasn't like any, you know, it wasn't some fancy Blue-y one. Yeah. Yeah. Just, you know, regular. And it just, everything was beautiful and delicious and it looked amazing and it smelled incredible and they were happy to see you. And, you know, and it's like, this is what they did. They had some pastries, they had some baguettes and that was it. I think that what's nice about Europe, you get, you have Tesco, you have big grocery stores. Like like we do here in the States, but you also have the bread baker and the pastry shop and the charcuterie shop and, you know, the guy that has pickles, you know what I mean? Like you have these sort of specialists that this is what they do. And people are still taking the time to shop like that, as opposed to going to the Tesco or the Ralph's or the Safeway and getting everything they have there. And they're not a specialist at anything. The produce is it's pretty good. It's not great. It's not amazing, but it's pretty good. You know, the butcher, the the meat is totally fine, but it's not a butcher shop.
0: My mom, every Monday, she walks. You know, on Mondays, she goes by her fish on the yeah. fish store, and then she goes by her, her breads, and then she goes by... Because it is. It's just very different. But again, I think it's also... If that bakery like we were talking suddenly goes from 20 requests a day to a thousand that person be like oh probably i gotta do something here maybe get yeah. some corners and it's, it's difficult
1: totally and but i think the the then you you have to start to think about your decisions i mean look the world needs 25 five dollar cakes i don't need to sell 25 five dollar cakes but the world needs them people need cakes that are 25 bucks i get it you know i totally understand but i like the european model a lot better
0: what was the oddest cake request you ever
1: got? <laughs> so, man, we got, we got some weird ones. We had one where uh, a nurse's convention was in Baltimore. And so, you know, it was a couple thousand nurses, you know, having this big conference. And so they came to us and they said, you know, we want to get a cake. And one thing we found over the years is that doctors and nurses have really twisted senses of humor, which I think they have to, right? You're dealing with the mortality of people. You have to be able to laugh. Because if not, it's just probably one of the saddest things ever. And so they asked us for a cake, and they, they brought in this a model, this mannequin. And it was ba- it was just a torso. It was a human torso, no arms, no head, just literally the torso. And it had on it all the different types of bed sores that a person can get, <laughs> you know, uh, you have different sort of lesions and infections and all these things. And they wanted a cake that looked like that thing, that model. And I was like, man, that is graphic and disgusting. Like, really, like, very detailed and slimy and gross. And they're like, that's what we want. And so we made it for them, and they ate it up. And we got, like, pictures of them, like, eating the the sores. And, oh, (laughs) God, I just – it's incredible. I thought,
0: I thought you have said like, oh, well, actually, we were very busy that week. I apologize. We <laughs> Is there anything that someone ever asked you and you were like, I wouldn't do that or I just cannot do that?
1: Well, I mean, you know, not to be sort of like too like bougie, but like, you know, everybody that works for me went to art school. Like I don't really have chefs or cooks or, you know, m- most of the people that work for me didn't go to culinary school. For a long time, I was the only one that was actually a professional, like a food professional. You know, everybody else came from the world of art. They were graphic designers, painters, sculptors, fashion designers, graphic artists. So one of the things that I always just sort of like said no to from the beginning was like the bachelorette cakes, you know, and like the sort of like the X-rated things. Because I just always felt like, I mean, we could have sold a lot of them, but I always felt like it was just sort of like, I don't know, disrespectful to my artist's talent. You know what I mean? And I just, I never wanted to be like, Hey, you're this incredible artist and you do this thing. Can you make a, you know, a big dong with veins on it? It's like, (laughs) 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 what is the most
0: simple but delicious dessert for you? Hmm.
1: I, I really love, uh, my, one, of my, one of my sort of like favorite kind of go-tos, in when it, especially when in like a nicer restaurant, is the sorbet. I love sorbet just because, you know, usually I've had a pretty big meal and, uh, you know, I don't want to eat that much. Like I don't want a giant slice of cake. But two, I find that like there's, uh, you really learn a lot about a pastry chef by their sorbet the way that sort of like fruit is treated, I mean, just first of all, just the decisions that the chef makes and like, you know, what, what do they want to make? You know, what's, what's good that week. Um, and then also like how they treat it, you know, how, you know, how is the fruit highlighted, you know, not just fruit, but, you know, usually fruit. And then also, um, you know, you kind of get a measure of like, de, like, is it the right may you know, was it like the right brick scale? Uh, was it spun correctly? Was it frozen correctly? How is it like, you know, it's always it's interesting to see like how sorbet is displayed too because mm-hmm. it's it melts super fast and, you know, there's not a lot of really cool ways to kind of like display a sorbet. I don't know. I just love it. I just, it's it's just one of my favorites. You know, I love frozen things. I love ice cream. I love ice cream. I love Ben and Jerry's.
0: you uh, use some heavy duty tools like blue torches and things like that when making your cakes why do you do that and what result do you achieve with that that
1: you wouldn't with your conventional pastry tools that's a good question it's funny we don't like I mean, we, we, we use blowtorches, but we use blowtorches like every pastry chef uses blowtorches. We use it to heat up the buttercream. Okay. You know, we use it for, you know, like normal, just what you use a blowtorch for it. And it was, I remember like when I first got on Food Network and they were like, you have a blowtorch? I didn't want to tell them like, yeah, every pastry chef has a blowtorch. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'm crazy. But like, we do have like some, you know, I have a table saw. I have a Sawzall. We got, I have an arc welder, you know, because a lot of times when we're building really strong armature for some of the really big cakes, you have to weld. You know, we got to put things together. I have bandsaws and jigsaws. I have a whole lumber room. We have a ton of just, a lot of boards, a lot of lumber, a lot of PVC pipe.
0: Like a hardware like, store. It's,
1: yeah, it's like a hardware store, and I mean, really, like you know, a big section of both of my bakeries are nothing but tools and hardware, drills and saws and everything. And I, like I remember, like when I first started Charm City, I'm I'm a redneck. Like I'm from like a really like small town in Massachusetts you know, we had like three stoplights. We all like, I was a roofer. I was a framer. I was a landscaper. I could build cars. You know, I like tools. And I remember when I, I, was like, when I started out and I was delivering wedding cakes, I brought a little bubble level with me, just a little level that you would, you know, use for carpentry. So when I was building the cake, I put the level on and make sure it was flat, which I thought everybody did. Evidently they didn't. No. And so, you know, I, I would like, I would be at like a, you know, a, you know, a place where they're having like a wedding hall or, you know, reception hall or something like that. And I'm building the cake. The florist would come over and be like, wow, I've never seen anyone using a level on a cake. That's so smart. And I'm like, I think what, what was good was that I was like, I'd never worked in a cake shop before. I opened a bakery. I, I opened the cake shop uh, because I was in a band and I was trying to like play music for a living. And I knew like I could sell cakes and pay my rent. You know, that was it. And so like, I was coming at this, with zero knowledge of how things were supposed to be done. And I think that made the difference. And so, you know, like the tools, like everything, like all the tools we have, like people would ask us to make weird cakes. Like, hey, will you make a cake that looks like my car? And I'm like, sure, I'll give it a shot. And, you know, I would need some plywood. If somebody asked me to make a cake that looks like their car, I want to make sure that, like, if you look at the cake, if you you squat down and look underneath, that you can see all the way underneath. Because... If you can't, then it ruins the illusion of yep. sort of what it is. And so, you know, being able to create that space, you have to build a little armature for that. So like the tools was never something that I was like, hey, look how weird I am. <laughs> it was always just like, this is the stuff I need to do the things that people
0: ask me to do. So next time someone goes to one of your, your stores, they can ask for a cake. And by the way, do you have a screwdriver? Just, to, you know, just, just throw one in there. I mean, yes, yeah, several. Uh, several, actually. <laughs> you have a new book coming up at the end of September yeah it's like in 29th of september super good baking for kids how is it different to write a book for children different than writing for adults
1: you know it's funny i didn't find it any different there's a lot of very you know just like on the easier side some of the recipes are you know relatively simple but a lot of them are not you know i have uh, there's a blitz puff pastry uh recipe in there there is fried yeast donuts. There's like real recipes. And the thing is, is as I was doing my research for, the, for this book, you know, I was looking at other cookbooks for kids and I found them to be really simple. I work with kids every day of the week, all year long. I'm, I'm constantly working with kids and the things that I've seen kids capable of doing, all the books that I read, they would be bored out of their minds with you know, it might be a cute book and had some cute ideas in there. And some of them were good. I just found that they were really simple. And I was like, kids want more than this. And so when I was writing the book, I mean, I was, I was, I tried to be really conscious about like kitchen safety, food safety, you know, stuff like that. And I really wanted to like, really make the recipes really fun. But if you read like my previous book, Duff Bakes, which is a regular, you know, baking book, kind of all kinds of stuff, bread, pastries, cakes, all kinds of things. Um, there's a lot of humor in there. You know, I, I write like I talk. And so I write recipes like I talk. And, you know, I, I find that it sort of, if it's a little more conversational, it kind of helps people like, you know, really understand. And it's not so cold. It's a little yep. more human. Kids book is a lot like that. You know, it's very funny. You know, there's a lot of really goofy stuff in there. There's a whole section on the history of unicorns. Um, (laughs) there's, uh, (laughs) there's, uh, There's my favorite section in the book is all of my favorite candies and why. So I have like, you know, like why I love gummy sharks, why I love Swedish fish, you know, why I love Snicker bars, you know, like all the, like I'd go through all my favorite candies. You know, some of the reasons are like funny, but what I tried to do is sort of illustrate why it is that we love things like when I talk about like Swedish fish, for example, you know, I was explaining to the kids, like the reason why I like them so much is because when they're a little bit stale and they get kind of crispy on the outside so that when, like when you bend it or you bite through it, there's like this outer layer of like kind of harder candy. And then the inside is like really soft and really gummy and chewy And, uh, you know, and I try to sort of like get the kids like thinking about why it is they like things. Like they know they like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, but why do they like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches? You know, and there's something about the texture of like really cheap Wonder Bread and crunchy peanut butter and like getting like peanuts, like those little pieces of peanuts and the jelly kind of all together creates a really interesting texture in your mouth. It's not just about... I love peanut butter because it tastes like peanuts. You know what I mean? Like it's not just Mm -hmm. flavor.
0: What was your first
1: memory of taste? Wow, of taste. Pumpkin seeds. Wow, I've never been asked that before. Thank you. Yeah, it was pumpkin seeds. I remember being real young and we were carving pumpkins for Halloween. And uh, my mom had us like get all the guts out of the pumpkin. And then we had to pull all the seeds out. And then uh, she took us in the kitchen and she roasted them and i just like found it amazing you could like harvest this food out of a pumpkin cuz like to me a pumpkin wasn't food it was just the big orange thing that you made jack o lanterns out of something about like roasting a pumpkin seed out of my jack o lantern and being able to eat it that i found really just wild like just it, it blew my mind i mean it was it was almost like being able to like catch a fish and eat it You know, like there's something like magical about that. And I think that was sort of my first kind of realization that, oh, you you like there's food out there. Food's not just on the dinner table. The
0: most underrated ingredient. And for you, I'll give you the option since pastry is your world. You can, as in a pastry world or, you know, just a regular ingredient that you use for cooking. But Hmm. most underrated ingredient for you.
1: I think one of the most underrated ingredients in the pastry world is salt. You know, I think a lot of times people just don't think of salt as, you know, an ingredient. I mean, you know, all trained pastry chefs do, but the majority of people, especially with kids, and this is something I, you know, I stress with the kids all the time, is that everything needs a little bit of salt. Ice cream needs a little salt. Pie needs salt. And, uh, you know, so I think in pastry, it's that. But in cooking, the most underappreciated, hmm, that is a good question. Hmm. (laughs) Hmm. <laughs> yeah. I know. Yeah, that's a, that's a tough one. I'm just trying to think of, like, what I like to cook with. I don't know. Yeah. That's I, fine. Dried chilies, maybe. Fine. Like, I really, I love dried chilies. I uh, I make a really good Texas chili. And uh, I have chilies in the house all the time, but I make a chili paste. I always have chili paste around. Because when I make a pot of chili, I always make extra chili paste just to have in the fridge, and I feel like just dried chilies just add such a depth of flavor to so many different things. Overrated ingredients. Oh man, cilantro. Oh wow, that was yeah. straightforward. Yeah. Best
0: breakfast you can have.
1: Oh man, I like to ski and snowboard, and um, I have a, a ritual that whenever I go with a group of people, or I, or just you know a couple, of, whenever whenever I go skiing or snowboarding, we're there for a few days the first day I will get up and make uh, eggs benedict for everybody and so I think like eggs benedict I don't know it's just got ton of calories a ton of fat just gives you like energy all day to you know do your thing and uh, it's just the most delicious breakfast
0: the strangest combination that people might do it that you just cannot accept food wise and here you can also do cake wise you know pastry that people put together like no no
1: yeah oh that's a good one huh I think lemon and chocolate is really weird. Some people love it. Like how I'm, about I'm, orange? Orange is okay. I love orange and chocolate. Okay, my favorite. Yeah. yeah, lemon. I feel fi- I find lemon to be really strange. So the name of the podcast is
0: "Turning Chickens and Breaking Dishes." Those are two Portuguese phrases. Turning chickens means someone who has a lot of experience, and breaking dishes means someone that exceeded all expectations. Do you think you've been turning more chickens or breaking more dishes?
1: I mean, I would have to say breaking dishes because when I was in high school, the vice principal of the high school was also in charge of discipline. And uh, me and Bill got, we were on first name basis because I was in trouble all the time. I was a bad kid. All chefs, right? Thank God for cooking. You
0: know? <laughs> Put our mind but, in something. Yeah,
1: <laughs> Yeah, right, right. But um, Bill, like uh, Mr. Sangster follows me on Twitter and to hear him now, and he just sort of sees you know i've been relatively successful in business and cooking and you know television and all this stuff and to kind of look at myself from his point of view of like i was this bad kid i was like running a poker game during lunch just causing trouble all the time to now you know i like mentor children (laughs) and uh i
0: I think i broke some dishes Perfect. (laughs) at the end of the podcast i asked my guests to sell their fish other portuguese quotes sell your fish in portugal means to talk about yourself Where people can find you, a lot of people know you, but you know, what's in the future for you, you know, what people can expect and all of that.
1: Let's see. My new book is out September 29th, super good baking for kids. And I think it's going to be my best book. I really do. I really, I put a lot of heart and thought into this book. I really thought about it and really like, you know, with my other baking books, like it's very good, you know, but it was like, here's a bunch of recipes that I really like to make. And that was it. With the kids' book, I've really thought about it kind of a sort of a curriculum kind of way. So I just think it's going to be great. And let's see. I got a couple new shows that are going to be coming out on Food Network, uh, but I can't talk about them yet. It's okay. Yeah. But they're really, they're really going to be fantastic. <laughs> like we are going to absolutely break some really crazy norms. You know, we're doing things that with Food Network has never even thought of. It's going to be really exciting. Yeah, that's about it. I got a kid. I'm. Uh, i uh, My wife's pregnant, so. We're, <laughs> I yeah. like how. Oh, by the way, actually. Yes, I, I found you know out today on a mail. Yeah, you got a kid. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, got a kid. Got a kid coming. <laughs> <laughs> when is she due? January twenty third. <laughs> so,
0: <laughs> Duff, thank you very much for the interview. Uh, important before we go. Do you still remember how to say cake in Portuguese? Bolo. There you go. Uh, Thank you very much. This was lovely. And I hope to talk to you again soon. So thank you very much. See you, buddy. Did you like that episode? Raise your hands. Me too. Thank you very much for listening to the episode. I'm so grateful for all the messages and comments that you have left. And if you haven't done that, don't forget also to subscribe to the podcast, share, tell your friends all about the chickens we are turning and the dishes we are breaking. You can follow me on Instagram at Turning Chickens Breaking Dishes, on the Facebook page Turning Chickens and Breaking Dishes, and you can also send me an email to info at turning chickens and Don't forget I release an episode every Tuesday and Friday of each week, so stay tuned all the time. If you want to support this podcast you can go to anchor.fm slash david martins have an amazing day Adios